Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Join our hosts as they discuss a wide range of topics and speak with leading cybersecurity, technology, and compliance experts. Now is the time for Secure Talk. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. Secure Talk is brought to you by Adequest, your cybersecurity and compliance partner. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking to Mr. Paul Clayson, CEO of Agile PQ. And Paul's going to be telling us about some of the challenges related to securing IoT devices, uh, the importance of securing them, and a unique solution that his company, Agile PQ, provides. So, hey, Paul. How are you today? Good, Mark. You doing all right? I'm doing okay. How are things in South Jordan, Utah? You know, they're uh, good. It's uh, the, the weather's uh, quite nice today. It's in the 50s. Uh, sunshine, beautiful. Tons of snow in the mountains. Ski resorts getting it ready to open. Doesn't get much better. Sounds awesome. I think I need to take a trip down there. I'm <laughs> I'm up in Seattle, and this is just the uh, we're just on the cusp of going into a long, dark, wet winter. It's kind of like going into a damp cave for about four or five months, and um, I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> jealous of my friends in Utah. Um, just out of curiosity, there's, well, there's come on down. I, I will. In fact, you know what? I'm I'm actually planning not necessarily South Jordan, but um, I'm planning a, a trip this winter with my boys, a mountain biking trip. And depending on the weather, we're either going to go over to Moab or down to St. George, or possibly even farther south. But uh, we got to get go out and get our vitamin D refreshed. Um. There you go. It seems like there's a lot of uh, of IT companies that have either you know set up shop or you know set up operations in the Greater Salt Lake area, uh, and and there's also a, a kind of a, a vibrant startup community. Is there is the same true for the security industry? There are security companies located here. We have uh, multiple facets of security. Some of the larger security companies have identified and placed satellite offices here. DigiCert uh, is a security certificate company. They uh, have their corporate headquarters here. So there are some. Uh, I- I'm not sure I would say it would be the epicenter of all things security for uh, the world, but, uh, the, but because there are so many tech companies here, we live on what we call the Silicon Slopes. Uh, where the mountains rise uh, right up from the from the office buildings here, and and uh, there are just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of growing security companies. We've had five unicorns in the last year or two. Uh, there's a very robust community here, and and out of that grows need for security as well. And are these companies tapping into native talent, or are you also having people that have, have, are moving into the area because of the the growth in the industry? Oh, uh, Utah in general is one of the fastest growing uh, employment centers in the country. In fact, right now it's been ranked the number one economy in the country. We've got under 3% unemployment. Uh, there was a rise during COVID slightly, but then it came right back down as people started to get out of major metropolitan areas and look for places that had very strong technology base, but also great recreation, uh, as as you rightly referred to earlier. Um, So 
there are a lot of people moving here, lots of uh, activities. Um, sometimes uh, with the un unemployment rate, uh, it can be a challenge finding the right people. The number of knowledge workers and uh, key talent uh, resources in the security field are even tougher. And then uh, with our company, we're specifically focused in IoT security and post-quantum security. Finding people with that kind of skill set is, is even harder. So we we uh, look outside. We do have some remote employees that we uh, work with, uh, and we'll do whatever it takes to grab the best talent in the industry. Yeah, and I think what one of the other draws were, and it, 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 again, I, I'm not uh, I'm not being paid by the uh, you know Salt Lake City Chamber of Commerce here to promote Utah, but uh, I I think one of the other advantages <laughs> of the area is you know compared to Silicon Valley or even compared to you know the Seattle Bellevue area up here is the lower cost of living. I mean, it, it, it just you can get your dollar seems to go a lot farther down there. Um, I, I don't know if that's if that's changing these days. Are, are you seeing anything different, or is it is it still a, a, a bit behind in terms of, uh, yeah, cost of living? Uh, cost of living is still um, low relative to, you know, uh, Boston, Austin, San Francisco, Silicon Valley, uh, Seattle, uh, uh, as the tech centers. Um, cost of real estate is rising uh, because there's so many people wanting to move here. And, and who are moving here, uh, when they're coming from places like Silicon Valley or, or even New York or Boston, uh, the ability to get a lot more housing for your money is, is uh, very, very good. I mean, you can still pick up, you can pick up a 4,000 square foot home with a fair amount of land around the, in the lot uh, here for still around 700,000, which uh, would be a fixer-upper hovel in, Sir, in, in Silicon Valley. So, or, or maybe a, um, a, a fixer-upper condo even. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 4,000 square yeah. feet. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's huge. Um, well, hey, so, so let's talk a little bit about Agile PQ. I mean, first off, you know, give us a little bit about the, you know, the company background, why you're in South Jordan, Utah, and what it is you do. Well, we uh, we are a company that, in a nutshell, we create we created uh, encryption uh, security systems that can fit on the smallest of IoT devices and still survive in a post quantum computing era. So, uh, so maybe to give a little bit of background on that, uh, the company was created uh, after some technology was developed by Lieutenant Colonel. Bruce Conway, who was uh, in the U.S. Air Force, and he worked uh, during his career extensively on Star Wars Defense Initiative, uh, beginning in the Reagan administration, and then uh, and then worked on uh, Earth to extraterrestrial um, satellites and so forth on the communication systems for those. When he retired from the military, he began to continue to work on creating better and more secure communication systems. And in the process of that was uh, successful in creating uh, a very small footprint um, encryption security system. Since that time, the company has gone on to uh, develop specific products and toolkits uh, that allows the company to integrate 
a full security system that includes not just encryption, but uh, very elegant authentication authorization systems, um, threat detection systems, uh, and we're just finishing up visibility tools now uh, where people can see exactly what's happening uh, on those IoT devices and upstream as well, and being able to secure those world today. I mean, there was, uh, there's all kinds of data and, and information out there about how the rate of cyber attacks to corporate systems is dramatically increasing because over 98% of IoT devices have no security at all uh, on them. Um, and those that do have highly inadequate security, maybe it's a username and a password, which there's an article even over the weekend this week that uh, um, that highlighted the fact that there's very there's very little security in just a username and password. They can be broken so rapidly. So we've uh, we've got a tremendous product, a great uh, uh, product that uh, meets a huge need where devices are growing from a current count of around 20 billion devices to uh, depending on the estimates you read, to as many as 50 billion in the next four years. So can you give some examples of, of IoT devices, both from, say, an enterprise application and also a consumer? Uh, because, you know, we have both listeners and they might say, well, how does this affect me? What are some common um, scenarios where people might be even using IoT devices and, and not be aware of it? Well, consumer devices are very much one of those. Um, um, if you've got a, an IoT system, uh, maybe to put it in a definition, uh, this would be any, any very small computer connected to the Internet. So this could be your coffee maker. It could be your oven. It could be uh, a lighting system. It could be a garage door opener. It could be a smart thermostat, or even a doorbell system that has, uh, that has cameras attached to it. Many of those systems um, will have uh, original manufacturers who have provided usernames and passwords on those. Typically, the username and password is the same, so it might be username of admin and a password of admin. And uh, they provide those, and consumers don't change them. And many of them ha don't even have that level of security, and none of them have encryption, have uh, deep encryption, because the processors on those very small devices are too small, far too small, to run the encryption that's on your smartphone. Um, that, that encryption on your smartphone takes uh, 3,000 kilobytes or 3 megabytes. Uh, 3,000 kilobytes to process a single encrypted message and to decrypt the message on the other end. That IoT, that very small device uh, that's running your coffee maker, uh, probably has less than 100 total kilobytes of processing power on it. How does a 100 kilobyte processor run 3,000 kilobytes of encryption? And the answer is it doesn't, so they just leave it off. We created a system where we can go in and we can uh, attach our encryption to that, and our encryption algorithms are uh, just around two kilobytes total processing and is more secure than what's on your smartphone. 
So, so just to just so just to back so just to back up a little bit in the case of the coffee maker, because you know I, I might get the coffee maker and the generic password and username is admin admin. I just you know being the um, <laughs> just having other things on my plate, other priorities. I don't ch- change those passwords. Um, a hacker uses uses those generic passwords or maybe garage door opener is a better example because you can just drive by drive through the neighborhood right and um and 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 test to see which ones are working um they could then access my garage door opener or my coffee maker because i haven't changed the passwords but then what what so what they they you know turn on my coffee machine they make my garage door opener open what's the big threat here yeah if they turn on your coffee uh coffee maker, maybe that's a benefit to you, right? Because your <laughs> coffee's hot when you get home. Um, but, but the real problem is this. If someone can access that device and, can, and a bad actor can hack into that device, there are multiple things that they can do with that. One, they could take over that device and stitch it together with a million other devices around the world and then perpetrate what's called a distributed denial of service attack, a DDoS attack against someone else and shut down their internet or cause all kinds of severe problems inside of a corporate system. And it's done through a million devices so that it can't be tracked. Uh, so nobody, no one can figure out who perpetrated that attack. Um, you know, for someone who's uh, elderly and trusts a system to have their device used to perpetrate an attack and against uh, a, a corporate system, that's not an acceptable issue. Well, what if the nation state was able to take over those devices and just know that they now have access to those and they're and 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 let's say that two nations went to war, they could then begin to shut down or play havoc with all of those kinds of devices and create a lot of confusion and a lot of panic among citizenry because suddenly they couldn't turn on or turn off their their uh, heater or their air conditioner. Um or they couldn't uh, they couldn't use this to lock uh, their front door remotely, or whatever it might might be. They also could ride the data stream from that coffee maker upstream to a smartphone and then to a server, and very possibly steal personal data or steal corporate data. So I talked about consumer devices, but corporate and industrial devices are the bigger problem. Uh, right now, because if a if a manufacturing plant has tens of thousands of devices on the manufacturing floor measuring everything from from temperature to vibration to weight to uh, to flow of fluids, uh, all kinds of things that they may be measuring, those are extremely vulnerable to attack. <clears throat> And if somebody gets on those, they then are into a corporate system unless the company has taken great care to segment the system away from its uh, from its cor- corporate IT uh, and network system. Uh, those become very, very vulnerable uh, to attack. Then people can get IP. They could uh, get into the corporate system and steal data out the front door. They, they, these IoT devices just provide a gateway directly into a network system. Yeah, I think a couple relevant examples are, um, you know, what happened to Target. Uh, I think their big data compromise started through 
uh, I believe it was the HVAC system um, that uh, was compromised, and you they use the hackers use that as a uh, an attack vector to to gain uh, credit card information. It, I, I, don't, I don't know if you're familiar with that one, but if you could maybe walk people through that. There's also, I mean, cases of public utilities where they're, um, they're, they've had devices that have been hacked and, then, and hackers have been able to actually shut down, you know, the, the, the entire uh, power grid in some smaller nations. Absolutely true. Both of those are prevalent stories in the news that have uh, been talked about. We actually have someone on our staff in our company that worked on the Target uh, problem years ago when that occurred. What happened there was bad actors were able to get into a very small sensor on an HVAC system uh, on top of the building in a, in a Target corporate headquarters, and from there were able to gain access by writing the data upstream into the corporate network and being able then to steal uh, um, credit card numbers, customer names uh, and information, uh, and they, they stole it very easily once they were inside the system, and that caused a lot of problems. Uh, it was a very high-profile attack, caused a lot of problems for Target. The sad thing is that's happened multiple times to other corporations. It just hasn't been as prolific in the news. Um, and when you have so, – so shutting down a power grid becomes a, a, very, um, a very concerning problem to small countries or to communities or whatever it may be. Uh, and there are multiple examples of that. There was even an example uh, here a while back uh, that hit the news where a hacker went to Las Vegas and was able to hack into the database of, of gamblers uh, on, on the database for a specific casino, and they went in through a heat sensor, an IoT heat sensor, in a fish tank sitting on the floor of the casino. I mean, that's how easily people can access if there's no security on these kinds of things. And, and, and let's just say that somebody was able to hack into uh, an oil and gas refinery, and they were able to take over an IoT device measuring temperature on, on, a, on a furnace, and they could do two things. They could send a false piece of information back to the server, assuring the server that the temperature with, was within an acceptable range, but... At the same time, they perhaps could hack the control sensor and turn up the temperature uh, to a very high point and cause a major explosion inside of an oil and gas plant. Um, those are the kinds of things that can disrupt energy grids, that can disrupt uh, things for a very long period of time and cause not only panic in corporate systems, but among consumers who use that energy. Yeah, those are pretty scary examples. And I, I think one of the problems is when you have a company and you have uh, people who are responsible for security in the in the organization, they tend to think about the their IT infrastructure and firewalls and, you know, just kind of wrapping a, a, a blanket of security, maybe even around um, identity and access management, for example. But these IoT devices, I mean, who would think about the security of a heater in a fish tank. I mean, that's just, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's pretty, yeah. pretty far down on their list, but it is, if it's, if it's connected in any way to their corporate network, um, it, it, it provides a, a, a potential 
attack vector or threat vector. So, um, that, so how does your solution, Agile PQ solution, help in those scenarios? Well, a uh, couple of ways. So our, our solution, uh, when placed on an IoT device, creates a very elegant authentication and authorization system. So when the server pings the IoT device and says, are you there? Device says, yep, here I am. Here's my, here's my uh, IP address. And the, the uh, um, corporate server then authorizes that device to speak. Uh, to it and give it instructions as to what it need, what needs done, whether it's delivery of data or whether it's turning something on or, on or off or whatever the functionality is. Um, those kinds of authentication and authorization systems need to be much more richly developed and much more effective than what people have seen in the past. Um, security around those, oftentimes, e even if it's some sort of, uh, <clears throat> you know, universal universal system or a firewall, let's say, uh, those firewalls typically um, companies will say, oh, we're, we're secure, everything is within the firewall, but yet the username and password once in the firewall uh, is the same for every one of 15,000 different IoT devices on that platform. Uh, those kinds of things, corporate corporations, we, we encourage companies to really look and how those systems are set up. Second thing we do is we provide full encryption uh, on that IoT device for any piece of data that is transmitting to and from a server. Uh, it can go through a gateway. It doesn't have to go through a gateway. There are multiple ways. We built our own TLS system to replace a very aging and inadequate TLS system that's on your smartphone and laptop today. Um, we built a, a new system specifically for IoT devices that allows that data to be completely secured for the data in transit between computers. That stops people from being able to ride the data into the corporate system. They can't attach to it because it's outside of the encrypted message. Um, so they're unable to, to uh, secure... Or, or to ride the data, and then second, they're unable to steal the data. They can't, they can't grab that data uh, for IP purposes and, and create theft and so forth around those devices. So we ended up creating a very elegant system, and we stripped out all of the unnecessary steps that's on your smartphone uh, for encrypting a message, and we were able to take so much out of the encryption operating code that we were able to increase the size of the key. So you've got a key when you encrypt a message that secures the data up front, and then you've got to have that key exchange on the back end so that the receiver can then decipher the message and decrypt uh, the message. Well, those keys typically for what's on your smartphone right now are uh, 32 bytes in size uh, with a key. Our encryption system, we were able to strip so much out of the operating code of the encryption itself that we were able to increase the key size from 32 to 288 bytes. That means our total key space that a computer would have to crunch through to find combinations to break a key is so much larger. In fact, it's over 400 orders of magnitude larger 
than what's on your smartphone today. That creates a very secure system for these IoT uh, devices. And is that where the quantum safe claim comes from? Yeah, very insightful. It's one of the things that lends to our quantum safe uh, encryption as well, is the key space is just so large that even a quantum computer couldn't break uh, through that key space. It's, it's pretty much uh, broadly accepted that when quantum p- computers become mainstream, they will be able to break AES-256. Current computers have already broken AES-128 and broken the IPsec system uh, that, that's, that's uh, used out there. So we, um, we were able to create the key space that was so much larger that it becomes quantum safe. And there are some other things we do as well to create quantum safe security. Excellent. Well, can you walk me through um, a typical deployment? I mean, maybe typical is not the right word. Give me some examples of, of how your solution is deployed. Uh, and, and, you know, I understand that you've got the encryption on a chip, but, you know, you can't just put something, uh, you know, a chip on a device and say, hey, you're safe. Um, how, how, how does it actually deploy it across the enterprise? So our technology uh, requires a piece of code on the firmware of a chip. Uh, So whether we built that in uh, as part of the OEM process or whether we do a firmware flash to a chip uh, from an existing, uh, onto an existing device, we can get that small kernel of code onto the firmware uh, of a chip operating an IoT device. Uh, We have an SDK that allows our uh, people we work with to rapidly integrate our technology into either existing or future devices. Um, once we have that small piece of code on the chip itself or on the firmware itself, then it can begin to send ma- messages uh, to, a, to a gateway or directly to a server where there is another piece of code. It's a small piece of code that interfaces and uh, completes the loop on the encryption cycle. Um, so our uh, that that in, in a nutshell is basically how our how our technology uh, works. And what type of customers or manufacturers are you primarily working with right now? So it's been a pretty broad range uh, uh, of, of customers. So we have, as an example, one application where our technology was added to a device called an ESL tag, an electronic shelf labeling tag. You can think of this of going into a retail store and seeing a printed label for the price of a bag of potato chips on a shelf. This replaces that printed label with, a, with an LCD screen, a small LCD screen, and pricing can be changed in a business office. Uh, yeah, pricing and, bar, and uh, uh, barcodes and various other things can all be put on that LCD screen. Those are very, very small, what are called class zero, the smallest, uh, um, smallest IoT devices in existence. And, and they are vulnerable. They're extremely vulnerable. We integrated our system into the processing chip for a client and, uh, and, uh, that, uh, to, to be able to secure all of those, 
those IoT devices, those ESL tags. We have another customer, two or three customers that have done physical security. There's a growing use of IoT devices for physical security that can do everything from from facial recognition to motion sensors to heat sensors to sound detectors that can identify between sounds that include everything from gunshots to human voices. Uh, and <clears throat> these physical security IoT devices are being used um, in ma many, many more ways for physical security. We have several customers doing that. We have an agricultural client. Uh, agriculture is being pressed uh, in the United States, especially for U.S. Department of Agriculture verification of organic materials. So they use lots of sensors and lots of cameras and and uh, ways to make sure that uh, organic methods uh, are used. Um, we have uh, an agricultural client that does that. Uh, we have an automotive client that is using our technology on automotive sensors on cars for various purposes. Um, we have smart cities applications where in a smart city you've got uh, sensors all over light posts and buildings within cities these days that can measure everything from number of cars going by, can actually see and read <clears throat> license tags, um, can uh, uh, do, do facial recognition. They also measure environmental conditions such as heat and humidity and cold and and uh, all kinds of other things that would give uh, give a city the ability to know if there are dangers uh, on the on the roads. Uh, there are multiple other functions under smart cities initiatives as well. Uh, those are taking place. All of those are types of customers uh, that we have. We also have customers in supply chain uh, management. You can put sensors inside of shipping crates, uh, and you can track those crates wherever they go, even if they're stolen. You can track uh, shipping times and all kinds of other data. Uh, High-value asset trackers, where even someone who could have a who who has high value assets let's say inside of a police station where critical evidence from a criminal case is stored and there's a surprising number of instances where evidence uh disappears or can't be found and uh having trackers inside of secured evidence boxes starts to become a very uh a very critical thing and it has to be secure those are the kinds of things we're working on, Mark. It sounds like pretty much everything. And I mean, it's uh, with the the explosion in the number of and the types of and the applications being used for, for IoT devices, um, it, it sounds like you're in a really good space. And, you know, you have a, you have a solution for a problem that's only going to continue to grow. Let me ask you this. What, you know, how do you engage with companies? Um, or let me put it this way. What should, if you are a CISO, either for one of these device manufacturers, or you know maybe you're you know the application designer, or you're a CISO in a consumer of these devices, um, 
what questions should they be asking? How do they know whether, you know, what they have is good enough um, or whether they need, uh, you know, like an agile PQ solution? What, what should they be looking at? So you used a term there that is, um, is actually a big problem in the industry, and that is good enough security. People oftentimes look at what they have and say, oh, we're good enough. We don't need to worry about this. Um, so what we do is we encourage, uh, we encourage CISOs right from the beginning to both require the manufacturer and developer of device systems to include all uh, multiple layers of technology, including encryption and authentication authorization and threat detection and visibility tools when they're building the devices. So there was a re there was a study done by the Santa Fe Group out of Santa Fe, New Mexico, here recently that is uh, uh, it, it was looking at corporate risk, and one of the extreme areas of corporate risk growth is within yeah. IoT devices. And what they found in the study was less than 25 percent of companies utilizing IoT devices actually knew where their devices are in the systems. So. They don't even know when devices are being hooked up, and people say, well, how in the world could that happen? Well, let's say you've got a maintenance supervisor on a manufacturing floor, and they hook up a vibration sensor to a motor to be able to give them data on predictive maintenance of, uh, of that motor. They hook that up. They hook it up to the Internet. Maybe don't even change the username and password. They just hook it up and start monitoring the data, they hooked it up through the corporate, um, through the, through the corporate uh, wireless connection. It's now connected into the corporate uh, IT network system, and nobody even knows it's there. They didn't report it. They didn't have a way to do it. They just hooked it up to do their job. That happens every single day, multiple times a day across the world. And so the first thing we do is we, we encourage CISOs to develop, to, to be, develop a comprehensive security strategy that includes IoT devices and recognizes the extreme risk of those devi devices uh, as they are hooked up and monitored over time. To use multiple forms of uh, multiple layers of security, which ultimately is the best security, uh, to have visibility into all of their devices. Using the example of the shop foreman, um, most of the time they'll hook that device up and it never, there's no visibility except for in the maintenance shop that that device even exists. So you've got to have comprehensive strategies and utilize tools like we and others provide to show where all of those devices are. Are they connected? Are they sending their data uh, at the programmed uh, intervals? Uh, is there more data being sent than, than what should be? Um, has it lost its internet connection? All of those kinds of things are just, it seems like a no-brainer. People should do that anyway, but it doesn't happen. Well, so just awareness among the CISOs is big. Yeah, and one of the things that are uh, the services that that we provide is a shadow IT assessment, 
uh, or scan, network scan. And there's a couple different tools that we use to do that. We're typically focused on on applications, but again, with devices, you do get applications, right? So, um, and these days, IoT is becoming more and more of a concern. So, you know, the awareness is coming. Uh, how do you help or what tools have you seen that can help these CISOs understand what their shadow IT from the IoT point of view, from this device point of view, what their exposure looks like? Because like you said, people are hooking up devices all the time. And how are they tracking this? How are they cataloging it? How are they keeping aware of it? And all those devices, you know, they need to be, uh, they need to be, they'll have maintained and they'll have patches and, and so on and so forth. So, so what tools have you seen that can be helpful? Yeah. So there has been a lot of companies begin to spring up that have um, quote unquote visibility tools that, that allow people to, uh, to either register or discover IoT devices that are already on the system and then to get those mapped into a corporate network system uh, so that they can be monitored. Those companies have become very popular. Uh, there's lots of, lots of them out there. Um, we refer to them as operational technology, uh, visibility tools, uh, some of them include uh, threat detection uh, so that you there's various methods to determine if there are threats occurring on those devices. Um, none of them, except for us, has both threat detection and threat mitigation. That is, we both, uh, we both detect the threat and we protect against the threat using our tools. Um, so I think the multiple companies out there, you can you can connect with them, get your systems um, identified, identified as, as many of these as you can. If it's a machine learning system that people utilize, that machine learning allows the network system to pick up new devices uh, that may not have been used for 30 days and weren't on the original list of devices or even included within a network system's um, um, roadmap uh, or, or visibility, uh, it can pick up on those and it can learn from those and, and constantly be adding and alerting the network systems operators to uh, other things they need to be aware of and mapping the new tools they have out there. Those kinds of uh, tool operational technologies, visibility tools are, in, in our mind, critical to setting up an appropriate uh, corporate network system that has IoT devices. I think that's some, some excellent advice there. In terms of Agile PQ solution, I understood that, you know, with the, uh, the encryption that you provide, that, you know, you can help on the prevention side. I didn't, I wasn't aware that you actually have detection tools or, so how, how, how does that work? And can, can your detection signal, if you, if you uh, detect up a, a, an intrusion attempt, can that be piped into somebody's, you know, larger security dashboard, a, a SIM or some other uh, tool? Sure, of course, yeah. So this is uh, relatively new to us. We created the protection tools first, and uh, I know this sounds uh, uh, in some ways almost unbelievable, but what we found was we could show people our protection tools and some of them said, yeah, that's cool, but I don't even think I'm being 
attacked. I don't, I don't think there's any threat on my devices. If I saw there was a threat, then the, your protection tools may be something we want to deploy. So from a marketing perspective and from a visibility perspective, we step back and recognize that we had to have visibility tools for people to accept the threats and to want to protect them. So that's relatively new for us. We haven't uh, even put them on the market in mass yet. We're we're more uh, we're in that that development phase of our IoT visibility threat detection uh, tools uh, right now. So um, so you're not you're not wrong. That wasn't on our website, and it wasn't something you would have seen. Um, so those are those are critical. And, and you asked me one other question, and I'm sorry I forgot. The, the last part of it. You know what? I forgot. Oh, um, with the detection tools, are you able to take that signal and and pump it into, uh, you know, the, your, the customer's SIM oh. or s- some type of other kind of uh, control dashboard? Yes. And the answer is yes. I mean, we can be able to pump information and push information to multiple formats, whether that would be you know, a a text message through an app, uh, in an email, through a phone call, uh, or into an existing um, system. Uh, You know, if it's in an existing system, we have to do some work to integrate with that existing system. But uh, that can all be done. Excellent. Well, last thing, and then we can kind of wrap things up, is tell me a little bit about your your business model. How, How... you know, I mean, are you 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 um, you're you're not selling chips. You're selling code that goes on chips. Um, I mean, t- t- how, how do you price this out? Correct. So we're not a hardware company. We are a software company. Um, our technology is software based, um, and we our business model allows us to be able to charge on a per device per uh, per year basis. Uh, we can do it two ways. If someone wants an in-house key distribution system and all of the critical tools in-house, which we typically encourage people to do, then we just uh, we just charge by by the device per year, and all upgrades and uh, changes and so forth to software are provided free through that uh, ongoing license agreement. Uh, we do have uh, the ability to do a SaaS model where the key distribution uh, for the devices um, is handled off of a common a common secured server uh, and then people can light up devices on a per month basis so in that case we would charge on a per device per month basis uh, to to light that up our visibility tools are charged uh, basically the same and we can combine both of those products to create a very elegant security system uh, on a per per device basis excellent thanks anything uh, any any news that you want to uh, share with us at this point or any exciting uh, you know upcoming events that we should be looking out for um, no we are so we are uh, doing a lot of forums right now to help people understand both the threat, uh, the solution, and the challenges that are both now and in the future regarding regarding IoT devices and requiring and and, and uh, talking about the coming threat of post quantum. Um, so 
so we're trying to do a lot of education in corporate America and among people developing consumer systems. We don't have a product, as an example, that's an app that a consumer can download uh, and and then get the the information onto the IoT device in their home. This has to come from the manufacturer's side or the systems owner uh, side. Um, we don't have any immediate uh, new announcements that are coming except for our visibility tools. People can watch as we roll those out in much bigger numbers and in a much more sophisticated way. Uh, those will be coming. And we'll probably have some sales wins that uh, that will be announced in the near term coming up here as well. Those are always fun, definitely. <laughs> well, hey, Paul, let me ask you one more question, and then we'll, we'll wrap this up. When is quantum computing going to be... Uh, a real thing? Well, it depends upon the report you read, of course. Um, There are still those who believe there will not be an operating quantum computer that can break current encryption standards for another 20 years, but those people are in the vast minority these days. Some believe that it's 15, some 10. What we see increasingly is the number of people, including governments, including our own U.S. federal government, that believes that there will be operating quantum computers that can break current encryption within the next five years. So lots of different schools of thought around that, but I think it's coming sooner than later. That's uh, exciting and scary all at the same time. Yeah, if you're putting in a uh, network system right now, a new network system for a company, uh, and those systems typically are designed to last anywhere from 10 to 20 years, typically around 12 to 15 years before they redo network systems again with new technologies, you better be putting post-quantum security in place today in order to last through that period of time when uh, these quantum computers will be a reality. So it's pretty critical to to get, get things moving now. And if you even look at our own federal government and what they're doing, there was a uh, there was a, a bill that just passed through the U.S. House of Representatives uh, maybe four or six weeks ago. It's in the Senate now that requires anyone working with the U.S. federal government IoT systems that they must have a minimum level of security on those IoT devices and it must be post-quantum uh, because they realize this threat and they realize what's coming. And that bill, when it passes the Senate, will create a minimum protection law. There are also states and the federal government now is looking at ways to do the same for consumer protection, consumer security protection. So even our own federal government realizes the short-term need for the kinds of security we've talked about today. So is post-quantum an actual, uh, an official term? Or, or official requirement? Well, so the answer is yes. I mean, you can cast out on uh, on Google, and you can find post-quantum security talked about in all kinds of places. Um, so yeah, it is it is an official term. It's officially recognized as as a need and a source for uh, source for development. Well, what's what's your simplified definition of post post-quantum? Post-quantum is security methods 
that will be able to last when a quantum computer is fully operable uh, and and able to break current encryption methods. Excellent. And Agile PQ, your solution already does that. So if anybody listening already, to this, yep. if you're concerned at all, I suggest that you, uh, you go to Agile PQ's website, which I'll be putting a link to in the description to this episode, um, and get, get, get in touch with Agile PQ, with Paul or, or one of his colleagues. Mark, I'm going to hire you on our sales team. <laughs> so, hey, Paul, I, um, I enjoyed our conversation. Wish we had more time, but um, I wish you the best and, um, you know, good close on this year. And hopefully we can cross paths uh, one day soon. We'll look forward to that. Anytime we can uh, help you with anything, even if it's to give you uh, resources, we're happy to do that. And many thanks for the opportunity to be with you today. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Join our hosts as they discuss a wide range of topics and speak with leading cybersecurity, technology, and compliance experts. Now is the time for Secure Talk.